Good morning, church. Family. Yeah, they sound good. One of these days, get rid of these stinking masks. Glad that you're here. Glad you're home watching, hanging out. We are almost done with chapter 3 of James. So get go to James chapter 3. Today we're looking at verses 13 through 18. And I know that's the end of the chapter, but I'm splitting this one up. And then we'll roll into Easter. But who in the world came up with that stinking challenge last week? Okay? I have a six-minute, 15-second drive from the parking lot to my driveway. I didn't even make it home before I messed up. I had so many restarts. It was ridiculous. But my prayer is that I was a little better last week than I was the week before. Uh, so I'm glad you guys were a part of that with me. But as we're looking at chapter 3, James starts off with teachers and those who are proclaiming the word on a regular basis. Like, be careful. You're going to stumble. You're going to mess up. Uh, watch yourself. And then gets into all of our business with speaking and the way that we use our words and our tongues are a vicious weapon. And he's continuing chapter 3 with wisdom now. And wisdom is a key element in helping us control our tongue. Wisdom is a key element in helping us control our life. Uh, So read with me James 3, verses 13 through 18. And it says, Who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but is earthly and spiritual and demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder and every vile practice. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. And a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. So James is setting up this picture of wisdom and what we do with wisdom and what that looks like. And, and a true wisdom is one that is in by good conduct is showing meekness in their wisdom. And so that's the ultimate goal. So this picture of wisdom and understanding what wisdom is. And part of that is, is dealing with knowledge because sometimes you think, Oh, they're a wise man. They know a lot of stuff. Well, that's part of it. But being wise is being able to take the stuff they know and being able to use it and be able to apply it to, to different situations. So wisdom is a capacity of judging rightly in matters relating to life and conduct. Knowledge is facts, information, skills acquired by a person through experience and education. Now, there is a lot of knowledge in this world. I mean, we have access by the Internet uh, and it is multiplying by double like every few years compared to what it was obviously at the beginning of time. I mean, we have the whole world at our hands basically with the Internet. So, of course, I Googled and then found the statistics on Googling. So Google processes over 3.5 billion searches a day. A day. That's a lot of searches. Now, there's a lot of people on Earth. I get that. That's a lot of Googling. Uh, and of course, I participated this week. Uh, every day, there are 306 billion emails sent. Every day, 306 billion. 500 million tweets. And 
they kind of averaged, and I'm glad it wasn't part of this math, that every person produces every day 2.5 quintillion bytes of data. Now, does anyone know how many zeros a quintillion is? It's 18. I had to look that up too. I wasn't about to try to do that. 18, 2.5 quintillion bytes of data every day processed by us. Individual. And so that's, that's incredible. That is insane amount of knowledge. But there's not much wisdom out there, is there? We try, you know, we, we try to, to get all the facts straight, but the application is a bear. Uh, and so James is like, wisdom is a key part. And we're going to look through these next couple of weeks of an earthly wisdom and a godly wisdom. So James is talking about this, this first verse saying that good conduct is shown in meekness of wisdom. So like I said, the ultimate goal is to show meekness and wisdom by our good conduct. There's going to be a gentleness to our wisdom that we present to others that we live out in our lives. And the Greek word for meekness is a mildness of disposition, a gentleness of spirit. It's not weak. Meekness isn't weakness. Meekness really is strength under control. In fact, the Greek word for meekness in the non-biblical literature describes a horse that is broken um, or a horse that is trained to submit to the bridle. Now, we talked about the strength of a horse and how amazing that creature is. When you break a horse... It doesn't become weak. It doesn't lose its strength. It doesn't lose the spirit of what the horse is, but now it's being able to be controlled. And that's what this meekness is, is a gentleness that is really a, a an amazing strength and power in our life. But with a gentle spirit, we're able to display this wisdom that ultimately is from God. So good conduct and meekness and this gentleness is a sign of true wisdom because ultimately we need to realize that we are nothing compared to the power of God. That earthly wisdom is nothing compared to godly wisdom. And understanding that through his power, we have access to him and we have a salvation in Jesus Christ. We have the Holy Spirit at work in our life that allows us with almighty God's power to bestow this meekness of wisdom. And meekness can be used in so many ways, and and it starts with us. It starts with us understanding situations in life, and there's some crazy things that we're going through, illnesses and relationship issues, dealing with work, all sorts of things that we need God's wisdom and this meekness of wisdom. But it also affects others. It also affects how we treat others in this meekness. Meekness means that we think of others first, that we are patient with others, that we go out of our way not to cause harm to others. Meekness means that we practice self-control and that we are confident in the strength that God has given us. This is the meekness that James is talking about, that it's not used to intimidate others. And we're going to take a look at the worldly wisdom that that is really about the selfish ambition of, of I am in charge and it's all about me and everyone else is going to have to deal That's not the wisdom that ultimately James is talking about. So James establishes that someone who is wise will show their good conduct, their good fruits, their works in the meekness and gentleness of their wisdom. That's the ultimate goal. And there are two sources, the earthly wisdom and godly wisdom. And we we have 
a choice a lot of times. Now, makes sense to always go the godly wisdom, but we still are stuck with an earthly wisdom. And that affects our fruits. And it, it affects the outcome of our life. Now, I've become a professional, and if you need me to meet you at the grocery store, just give me a holler. But I'll tell you how to pick the best watermelon and the best pineapple, okay? Of course, I had to Google it because I Google things, okay? But the best pineapple, if you see the weird little pokey things, inside you kind of see the body of the pineapple or the outside. If it's green, green, it's not ripe. It has a little bit of gold. So not all gold. If it's all gold and yellow, it's a little bit overripe. But it has just a touch of gold. Uh, with maybe a little outline of green, that's a perfect pineapple, okay? And like I said, I'll meet you there. You'll have to share when you get home, but I'll meet you. The watermelon is is almost similar. So you have the watermelon. I never understood the shaking thing. I guess if it's if it's seeds, it, you can figure out how to do that or, or a cantaloupe. But a watermelon with the green, every watermelon, mel, every watermelon has a little white spot. If that white spot is a little gold in color, it's a perfect watermelon. Uh, if it's super, super yellow, and by the way, whatever the stem is, the longer the stem, the better also. Uh, but if it's a little gold, then that's a good watermelon. So I've learned how to pick two fruits. I do. How many of you squeeze the, the oranges, by the way, tangerines, to make sure they're not too firm or too soft? Am I the only? Ooh. I hope there's not cameras in the grocery store. So anyway, I, dig- I digress. We got to be careful picking fruit. We've got to be careful picking the right wisdom and, and understanding that the wisdom of God is ultimately the best, but we have the wisdom of the world at our, at our fingertips. So earthly wisdom in verses 14 through 16, James lays out what earthly wisdom looks like. And it comes from natural human origins. Think of earthly, like it's it's only from things of the earth, uh, which is us humans. And it does not take God into account at all. Turn with me to First Corinthians, and we'll keep our finger there for for near the end of the sermon. But First Corinthians two verse fourteen says, "The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God." For they are folly to him, and he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. So natural, the natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God. So earthly wisdom is already starting off on the wrong foot. And then James says it's unspiritual. So again, nothing to do with God. It comes from ungodly sources. Uh, so it's unspiritual. And then he throws in that it's demonic. So not only is it earthly, but there's the source comes from Satan. The source comes from sin and from evil. And so understanding that earthly wisdom is unspiritual, it's demonic, and it is driven by two things. It is driven by bitter jealousy and selfish ambition. Now, James mentions this twice. So he probably was dealing with people around him and probably himself who were a little jealous and selfish. I know none of you are selfish at all in this room whatsoever. So it's really all about preaching to myself. I'm just kidding because I know a lot of you are selfish. Not that I've experienced that at all. And I see the jabs. Yes. But but we're, we tend to be jealous and selfish. Bitter jealousy 
and selfish ambition come from the heart. Uh, so it, it's really this selfish internal mechanism by which we tend to react to situations and to relationships. It's all about me. Uh, bitter jealousy means that we really don't want something that, or we really want something someone has. We really don't want them to have it. Uh, it is desiring it to the point that we are bitter. And people, we, I enjoy that other people get things. It's nice for them. But when it starts eating at me and I get bitter about it, then there's a problem. And then self, can we just skip the selfish parts? Cause, I mean, I don't have the proper, uh, footwear to avoid my toes getting smashed. So selfish ambition is that we are motivated by an ambition to be selfish, an ambition to make everything all about me. That's pretty pathetic. But yet we're, we've all been there and done that and still do that. It is demanding respect and attention that it is all about me. So pursuing and having an ambition to selfishness is what is driven by this earthly wisdom. And then James says, with earthly wisdom produces two things. So it is unspiritual and demonic. It is driven driven by bitter jealousy and selfish ambition. And here's what comes out of it, but disorder and every vile practice. And we lean completely on earthly wisdom and our human knowledge it's going to create a mess, a big mess, because out of that is going to come sin. Out of that is going to come, become chaos and disorder. And it not only affects us, it affects those around us. We kind of tend to splat the selfishness around everyone around us. Uh, and so there is an issue to that. In 1 Corinthians 14, 33, it says, God is not a God of confusion, but of peace. So this confusion, this chaos doesn't come from God. It comes from Satan. It comes from the world. And that word disorder is the same Greek word uh, for confusion in that passage in 1 Corinthians. So confusion, disorder, and it's bound to cause issues in our relationships. It's bound to cause issues in our church. If we are selfish, could you imagine trying to do church with a bunch of selfish people? First of all, no one would ever move chairs and tables. No one would ever want to set things up. We wouldn't have anyone hanging out with our children and youth, let alone changing diapers in the nursery, right? Uh, we would we would have issues trying to do ministry at our church if we were a bunch of selfish people. Um, and then we would lose love and care that we have for each other. The encouragement wouldn't be there. The building each other up, the the, the discipling. Well, you know what? You're on your own, you know, and forget about prayer requests. You know, if I'm selfish and we're all selfish, it's not that, hey, I'll pray for you. It's, hey, I need this. Will you pray for me? You know, it's all about me. Y'all pray for me and fix my problems, and I'm not going to pray for you. Doesn't sound ridiculous, but yet that's what selfishness does. That's what disorder and chaos does. Could you imagine if we lost the love and care that we have for our community. We would not have had two amazing weeks of safe nights, um, inviting our homeless to come and be safe, literally, and have great food and have a place to sleep. We wouldn't sit there and have almost a 100 of you pack up almost 3,000 bags of candy for our 
four public schools in the area around our church. That's amazing. But we couldn't do that if we were all self. Well, come to think of it, we could all show up and eat the candy ourselves, right? But we can't do ministry as a church. Our church would be separated and divided and crushed by selfishness and a desire to only serve ourselves. But we've got to pursue the things of God. We've got to pursue this godly wisdom and and love others and put others first. And that's not easy. So verse 13 talks about wisdom is verified by gentleness and good conduct. But all of these things don't provide gentleness, a, a, a meekness in wisdom and good conduct. Envy, selfish ambition, disorder, evil practice, they are all the opposite of what the ultimate goal is in our wisdom, providing good conduct in a meekness and a gentle spirit. And by the way, James says, don't boast. Don't boast about it. Don't take the truth and have that wrong. And that's what's going to come from our earthly wisdom. He's saying, stop being arrogant. Stop walking around with how much you think you know, how wise you are. It causes destruction and chaos. And to be false about the truth means that we have totally missed the point because everything's about Jesus. Everything that we do is about Jesus. If it's ever about us, we're going to be in trouble as a church. We're going to be in trouble in our faith. We're going to be in trouble in our relationships if everything's about us and nothing's about Jesus. And so there's a danger with this earthly wisdom. Turn with me now to 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 18 to 25. And here Paul lays out what true godly wisdom looks like in comparison to our earthly wisdom and the power of who God is and the almighty God that we have a relationship with. So 1 Corinthians 1, verses 18 through 25 says, For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing. Now, that's earthly wisdom. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. So now we're talking godly wisdom. Paul goes on, For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, and the discernment of the discerning I will thwart. Where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? Okay, kind of clear where God stands compared to earthly wisdom. For since in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom, it pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. Oh, thank you, Jesus, for that verse right there. Through the, vol- the folly of what we preach. Please, we've talked about this. We've talked about putting people too much on a pedestal. We are still sinful human beings. And in spite of, of myself, being broken and sinful, standing before you preaching the word of God, God is pleased when his word is proclaimed. It's not about me. I'll do my study. I'll do my preparation. I'll get everything ready. But it's not about me. I'm going to fumble in my words. I'm going to fumble in my presentation. Thank you, God, that he is so much greater that the Holy Spirit is going to speak to you however he is going to. Um, And so that's an amazing gift that God, and again, he's saying you could have the most amazing preacher of all time and expositor of the word, but it doesn't matter because it's going to be God's work, not any man. And Paul says it was God's good purpose to save those who believe 
by the seemingly foolish processes of preaching the cross. And then he goes on, verse 22. For Jews demand signs and Greeks seek wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, a, a godly wisdom, a stumbling block to Jews and a folly to Gentiles, earthly wisdom again, but to those who are called both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God, for the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. So what Paul says is God's smallest, least significant move or thought is more worthwhile than the wisest plans of any man that has ever lived. God's seemingly insignificant expression of his creative and providential power. Can I tell you that the one drop of dew on a leaf that God has created is more powerful and more wonderful than anything that mankind will ever create. That is awe and amazing and almighty power that God has. He is, he has complete control and fully accomplishes his purposes while the power of, the power acts in thoughts of men in comparison is nothing. There is nothing that compares on an earthly wisdom scale to anything in the godly wisdom. But yet we dwell in that. Why? I, we just read a passage that is amazing about Almighty God, and we have access to Almighty God in our relationship with Jesus Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit. Why in the world are we dealing with earthly wisdom? But yet we have sin, yet we fail, yet we stumble. We're going to fall off that pedestal. But we've got to be reminded we have access to Almighty God. We have access in any situation that we will ever go through every moment of the rest of our lives that the wisdom of God, Almighty God, will work an amazing uh, situation in any situation, but it's us having to pursue him. Does that mean life is going to be easy? Not even close. But man, the, the power and wisdom of God, knowing that we have access to that through any situation we're going through, is amazing. Uh, but yet we tend to kind of figure it out on our own. Hey, God, life's going good. Family's healthy. I've got food in my pantry. Work's going okay, says people again. Um, but sometimes when life's good, we're like, ah, God, I got this. You know, I'll check in with you once in a while. No, God's wisdom applies to everything. The amazing part of our life, the good part of our life, the okay part of our life, the eh kind of part of our life, and the devastating part of our life. That's the wisdom of God, and it's really the love of God. And the adoration that he has for us. That we need to pursue God in all things and pursue this godly wisdom. And we'll talk next week about what godly wisdom looks like. Deal with this passage from James and be reminded of God's almighty love uh, that he has for us. Our meekness and our wisdom comes from the fact that we can't achieve this wisdom on our own. It is all from God, only from God. And that is our source that we've got to pursue. As we close in prayer and go into our invitation time, please remember that we have a couple of men up here who are ready to receive you uh, to, if there's a decision that you need to make, but allow the Holy Spirit to work, allow the wisdom of God. And God says, ask, ask for wisdom and it will be given to us. And so let's ask every day to seek the wisdom of God, to seek his will for our life, and allow the power of the Holy Spirit to work mighty ways in our life.
pray with me. Father, I thank you for this morning, for the opportunity that we have to understand how much you love us and understand that it's not just that pass to heaven and we've just got to keep our nose clean, but Father, you are all in in our lives. You are all in in every situation. Father, I pray that we continue to ask and to seek your wisdom in all of our relationships and work and home and school and everything that we do, uh, that we seek you in all things, Father, that you are glorified in our life. Thank you for this time together. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.